Well, um, thank you for that. Thank you. It is a, a trying time. We have a lot of people that are online right now just because um, they've either been exposed to the virus or they um, are taking things in a more precautious way. Our ho- hope and heart as a church is that this can be a space of freedom in worship. And so I would ask you from this platform before we even open up God's word, you know, if, if there's ever a time that you feel sick here in the coming weeks, um, there is a reason why we, we do things online. It is not the same. There, you should be feeling something if you're at home right now to where this is not the same. There's, there's something missing here. That is the Holy Spirit reminding us who the church is. The church is a called out, sent ones who gather together to worship together. And when two or more gather, Jesus, the Lord is with us. The Lord is with us and he is building unity within us. And so, but... With that, the caution still stands. If there's, we, we want everyone to come here and worship with a clear conscience. Amen? Can we, can we all agree with that? Um, so if you're, you're feeling sick, don't kind of uh, risk it on maybe it's allergies or maybe it's just this. Uh, go ahead and stay home, and we're, we're going to try to continue to allow you to be a part of the gathered saints through technology, even as limited as that is, okay? And so everyone that is here, um, my prayer is that uh, we can worship Jesus with a a very clear conscience, knowing that uh, he is Lord, that he's in control of everything. And um, let's press forward, not thinking about our neighbor, but thinking about him and and trying to worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen? Now, that was a very long introduction to get to my introduction. All right? So, so glad that uh, we have college students back. I meant to say this last week, but there was a lot of kind of announcements. We are a different church whenever we have college students. And the summer kind of felt like, oh, man, like, where, where are all of our college students? Uh, we, we were praying for you. We were excited for you and how the Lord has grown you during the summer. And we pray that as you jump back into the life of being a part of this gospel-centered disciple-making family, that this gathering, everything that we have to offer, Davis's leadership at RCM is all edifying to build you up to be a mature disciple of Christ who goes and makes disciples where you work, live, and play, and go to school. That's my hope. And so, so thrilled that you are back here, and we're going through a series through the Gospel of John. What, what must we know sermon series is what must we know, believe, and understand about the person going to tell us the book, why he wrote the book, is the Christ, him, culture fad of Christianity going on. So remember this, remember the little bracelet on, maybe one, one, so it's, it's still alive, it's, and it's a great question, I, I absolutely love it, Edge, kind of whenever the worship wars were going on, I've talked to several people that are, kind of grew up in the youth ministry, what we need in, in the body of Christ today is we need to get back to the same energy that we had during the WWJD movement in the early 90s, like that's what we need, let's get back to that. Uh, large crowds, a lot of energy, you know, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. You know, those awesome, those bangers of a worship song, you know, that, that were going on. Cutting edge right there, you know, just like really sticking to, to those hymns. But um, there's a lot going on. And so, so, so over here, there's a lot of people trying to get back 
uh, to, you know, the, the early 90s youth ministry culture. And then there's another side that I've talked to a lot of people about that know a ton of friends that kind of were swept up in the movement and were like, yeah, we're all doing it. WWJD, let's, let's go to church, let's go to youth group, let's go to school and like be salt and light and all this stuff that aren't walking with Jesus anymore. That, that, that the energy didn't, uh, didn't have enough fuel to sustain them to when they were in their late 30s and early 40s now. And so uh, this is what's interesting about this whole thing. The whole reason I bring this up, because um, I think there's room for both. Hey, uh, you know, uh, WWJD is kind of like a, a throwing a big Jesus party, and I love Jesus, I love parties, so there's room for both, I think. I think there's room for both. But, but my fear is this, is that we have taken that idea of if we could just get back to this, and we were trying to replicate the energy and not the person that it was pointing to. My fear is that, that it, we're, we're not trying to make it, we're trying to make it about the scene, we're trying to make it about the movement, we're trying to make it about the momentum, and we're not trying to get back to the person that it was all pointing to, which is, what is Jesus? Who is Jesus? What would he do in every single circumstance? How can he be at the center of our lives? And my fear is this, is that as that energy of the 1990s has kind of waned and we're now into the, um, the 2020s now, that um, there's not a whole lot of, you know, raw, raw stuff still going on. There's still subcultures of it going on in different denominationals, uh, areas and stuff like that. But my fear is that we're moving into a, a group, a, a cultural moment, rather, a cultural moment to where we're bored with Jesus. That Jesus is just boring. That uh, he's not something to get really excited about. He's not something to devote ourselves around. He's not something to, to wear on our wrists and to, to have an, an opportunity to, to speak about him based on the clothes that we wear and the culture that we're trying to create or anything like that. We're just bored with him. And here's the reality that I want to, the, the kind of, the posture that I want to present. If you're bored with Jesus, you don't really know the true Jesus. If you're bored with Jesus, you don't actually know the real thing. If your life reflects, you know what, I, I'm kind of following Jesus, but I'm not necessarily centering my life around him. In fact, my life doesn't really change. Maybe it changes, I base my ethics on him, but, I, but it's not really transformative. It's not really shaping. I'm not really centering every decision that I'm making through him. Then, then you don't know the real Jesus because whenever Jesus was here, as John will tell us and we'll discover, Jesus was either bowed down and worshiped, or he was trying, or, or someone tried to crucify and kill him. No one was bored with him. No one goes, eh, with the real Jesus. And what we see in our culture is we probably don't know the real one because I sense a whole lot of yawns. Whenever we, you know, high energy stuff, we just need to learn today. We're going to learn today to, uh, if you actually know life, new life, the things that we're going to learn today, that in Jesus, we receive new rights whenever you believe in verse 4 and see what it says. It was the light of men, and the light shines, I'm trying to say here, apart from Jesus, you are in Jesus, and this light is in. There was only darkness in the hearts of and The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. This is tragic news. This is, should have celebrated. Here is the one. Here's the one. We were unaffected. The world was unaffected by him. My dad always tells this story, um, especially whenever I'm raising my own kids and stuff, that there was a moment, there was a switch that happened at some point um, during our child rearing that whenever he came home, 
we no longer got up and ran to the door to, uh, to celebrate him. Because there was a season to where every time dad came home from work, me and my sister were like, dad, and we just started running. We're like, yeah, big hugs and everything. And our mom trained us to, trained us to do that. And so we celebrated every time dad came home. That didn't happen with Jesus. That didn't happen with Jesus. He entered into the world that he created. We talked about that last week. And the world did not receive him at all. It was a very, very sad day. Not even, not even his own people, he said. His own people that were so particular about keeping genealogies. You ever wonder why there's so many genealogies in the Bible? Because they were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for him. And whenever he entered into the world, coming exactly how he said he was, according to the Old Testament, they said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't really care. The world did not even receive him. Even his own tribe, the tribe of Judah, they were unmoved They were unmoved by the king coming. You want to know why? Because they were dead. They were absolutely dead. They should have celebrated him. They should have ran up to us, ran up to him and and rejoiced in him the same way that me and my sister used to run up and rejoice in our father coming home from work. But we didn't do that. We didn't do that because we're dead. The world is dead, cast in darkness, and it does not receive the light. So let's talk about deadness, right? This is encouraging, all right? What is deadness? If you're dead, you have uh, no response to outside stimuli. Absolutely none, right? Dead people don't do anything. Dead people don't smell anything. Dead people don't see anything. Dead people don't respond to someone touching them. Dead people don't know that they're dead, right? <laughs> they don't know any, any of these things. So What the Bible is saying is it says that we are actually spiritually dead, that we don't respond to any spiritual stimuli. And so what's so interesting about this is we buck up against it because like this Bible language, it's so harsh about this deadness. I don't actually know what it's saying because I feel alive. Anyone in here feel dead? Anyone feel like they're not actually alive today? You say, no, I'm a little tired. That's not the same as dead, right? There's a difference between deadness and tiredness, all right? Why do we, why do we um, buck up against this idea that we are spiritually dead? Because here's the reality. A spiritually dead person can love football, can love college sports, can watch the Olympics. A spiritually dead person can love the latest music and be one of the best playlist makers, you know, both sides of the Mississippi, they can, they can engage creatively with the, the, the gifts that God has given them. They, they can be very moral and good and active in politics by trying to transform and change the world and bring justice as a means of God's common grace. They can be gregarious. They can be excitable. They can display joy. They can display happiness. Listen, listen. They can be some of your favorite Whenever you talk to them about spiritual, you're like you're my homie, like we're, we're really real life. Let me talk to you about what it means for me to walk. I don't need that. To have zero interest through the new birth in Jesus. Interested in the Bible, you can have love dead. Spirit to spiritual stimuli whenever it is presented. We are absolutely so. A lot going on here in this passage. There's a lot that are spiritually alive. There's spiritual. Everything is clicking. Even though everything is just clicking together. Why? You know the difference whenever you have conversations with Christian. 
And so we need to try to understand this, that even though we're radically different, we have this shared common heritage that belongs to the new birth. And so, so many people that whenever that turned on in Christ, you say, how have I never seen this before? So you, some people have gone to church their entire lives. They, they, they were raised in the WWJD uh, movement and, and all of that. They're raised in it, and then all of a sudden, one day it all clicks, and they're just like, I feel like I've never seen this before. I feel like no one's ever explained the Bible to me like this before. I, f- I feel like I've, I'm reading it for the very first time, and it's, and it's alive. What's going on? You're becoming spiritually alive. You're alive. And no amount of church, no amount of spiritual disciplines, no amount of Bible memorization can turn the lights on. The Holy Spirit does that through the new birth. That's what we see here. Because before, before, um, uh, uh, before you're spiritually alive, obviously, you're spiritually dead. And dead people don't know that you're dead. In fact, in fact, this is actually kind of um, interesting. The number one way that you know that you're alive is that you know at one point that you were dead. I'm going to say that again. The number one way you know that you're spiritually alive is that you know that in the past you were spiritually dead at some point in your life. Has that happened to you? Has there been a moment to where you've come from spiritual deadness to spiritual aliveness? Do you have the new birth? Let me make it plain. Because you might be saying, Cody, that actually kind of sounds like spiritual mumbo-jumbo, and I don't actually get it. It sounds kind of elitist and like insider language, and I need to understand what you're trying to say. Well, there's different versions of aliveness in, in our life, right? Anybody ever seen a sponge at the bottom of the ocean? Apparently, scientists tell us that that thing is alive, okay? A sponge is alive, all right? Compared to a dog, it seems dead, Right? Compared to the fish that swim around it, 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 the sponge seems dead. But no, it's alive in a, certain, in a certain way. In the same way, compared to a cat, I'm very much alive, all right? A cat has never thought about anything. It only thinks evil continually, right? Um, it's very spiritually dead. All cats are. I'm just kidding if you're a cat person. But compared, compared to me and a cat and then the, the cat in a sponge... There's different, higher or, there's different orders of aliveness, right? Does that make sense? And what the Bible is talking about whenever we become spiritually alive, it's a new order. It's a new order of life. It's life which is truly life. Did you know that Jesus used eternal life and life which was truly life interchangeably throughout the Gospels? I've come that you might have life, life that is truly life. And he uses the, sometimes in the other gospels, they'll use the exact same passage and you say, I've come that you may have eternal life. It's the same thing. Real spiritual life means that he's making us whole. He's making us, he's making us into something new. It's as if we were Pinocchio and now we're a real boy. That's, that's really the, the higher order that it's talking about here. That makes sense. So the first teaching that we see here is that you were spiritually dead that you were spiritually dead, that all of you come alive through the receive who, who believed in it, not a blood. What he's talking about? He's talking about this Jesus. He's talking about power. The way that you're born whenever you enter in or the will of anyone else, you are born in you. Something that enters into you, that happens in this, becomes organic. It becomes to grow naturally. In a lot, 
And especially whenever you get into kind of the real world suite, because whenever I get out into the, the real world, I realize it different ways. Um, a lot of people do this. They raise my kids in a, in a Christian environment. I work, 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 work. And listen, outside of begging God for the new birth. Troll? Sure. But listen, listen, that's just mechanical growth. It's not new. It's not alive. It's not powerful. Listen, I can, I can pile up some firewood um, in my backyard, but it's, the, the pile and the pile will grow, but it's not alive. Sure, it's growing, but it's, it's growing in one way, step by step by step. And in, in the same way, you want real power? You want what this is talking about? You want new birth? You cannot do it by your own striving. No mechanical striving, no amount of Bible memorization is going to be able to produce within you, produce within you this real life. You need something completely different. You need to be born of God, to be born of God himself. You need to beg God for this thing. Because what God is doing in the new birth is he's not trying to get you to strive harder. He's not trying to get you to turn over a new leaf. He's not trying to make you more moral. He's not trying to make you an ethical person. This is not what God is trying to do, even though there's going to be moral change and there's going to be ethical change and there's going to be all that that's baked into the cake. But what he's trying to do is he's trying to make you something completely new. He's not trying to make the, the horse jump higher. He's not trying to make uh, uh, yeah, the, the horse run faster. He's trying to make the horse sprout wings and turn it into a new creature creature. That's what God is doing here in the new birth. Do you have it? Have you been changed by it? Listen, I think so many of us in this room, if we're not careful, we will fall into the trap that God wants me to be more ethical and he wants, to find, he wants me to find a new source for my ethics and my worldview. And let me tell you the difference between an ethical person and someone um, let me give a couple of examples of someone that is ethical and someone that has been transformed by the gospel. Let me start by reading this verse. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, these things will be true. Here are the, here are the examples that I have. An ethical person, an ethical person is trying to be different, is trying to be different in multiple ways they kind of subscribe to a set of worldviews, right? The same way that you, you know, whenever you get a new phone and you like, hey, hit agree, agree, agree. You never read any of those things. You just kind of say, oh, I have an iPhone now, so I have to subscribe to all these things. I have to go through them. An ethical person finds their worldview through, uh, by a piece of paper or through Facebook or something like that, and they just said, I subscribe to it, and this is my moral ethical code. It's right here. It's written down. You can read about it. You can, I can talk to you about it. This is kind of um, my truth over here, or at least my version of the truth. But a living person, someone that has experienced the new birth, finds truth as a person, discovers truth as a person, that, that truth is dynamic, that truth, you have a relationship with it, to where truth is constantly doing surgery on your heart. A tr see, a Christian looks at the, cr the Christian they were the year before, and they say, I'm going to recognize my myself again. There's this one, and he's rearranging everything what's going on with the truth has a dynamic relationship into your I keep on failing at this thing over here. I have an addicted personality here, so I'm just, I'm, I just, I'm filled with anxiety in and out. You're alive. 
Another example, they view themselves differently. Most of them um, keep down, do everything just uh, to present a shield over their world. But I think most ethical people, if they, they do this. They look, follow that, but, and they think to, about the, really the, the problem here. If everyone just thought like me and everyone just behaved like me and everyone had the same discipline that I had and if everyone had the same outlook on life that I had, then the world would be a much better place. Now, they don't say that out loud to too many people. They're not, they're not braggy about this. But deep in their heart, that's what's going on. As they're saying, if you just subscribe to the things that I subscribe to, this world, this whole world would be a much better place. Someone that is alive, someone that has, has new birth, guess what? It's totally different. They look at the world, they look at the world's problems and they say, the same problems that are going on in the world are, they originated in my own heart. From the murderer down the street, in the alleyway, that, that same murder is somewhere deep in my heart and we're saved the exact same way. And so there's no, there's no pointing the finger for someone that has a new, new life. They only look inward and say, I am a recipient of grace in need, desperate need of God's mercy. I'm in desperate need of God's mercy. That the sin that's going on in the world, man, I get it. And there's an empathy and there's a compassion about it. And you don't point the finger at the other side of the political aisle and you say, what's their fault? Because you have a dynamic relationship with truth. And you understand that in the gospel, we're all broken. We're all in the same playing field. And the only thing that will transform and change us is the grace of God. Is the grace of God. The only thing that will transform and change our society is the grace of God. Not getting um, the right number of house representatives or senate or whatever. Or the right person in the president. That's not going to change our culture. What's going to change our culture is the gospel of Jesus. Is the gospel of Jesus. I'm going to move on. Before I say something dumb. Do you get that though? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? There's a difference between being ethical and there's a difference in being, have a dynamic relationship with the Lord Jesus. Totally two two different things that we need to completely understand. You say, Cody, you might be overdoing it though. I think this might be an oversimplification. This might be, you might just be talking about your own experience. My experience wasn't like that. I liked the church camp high. I, I enjoyed that. I feel like I was, I was saved during all, during all of that. Listen, listen, I appreciate that. I appreciate that very much. But, but if you think you're in this room and you're saying, you know what, I don't think we all have to have this robust, dynamically new birth change in order to be on team Jesus. Let me ask you this. Does that make sense? Based on what we uh, read about last, uh, last week and how Jesus and God the Father are forever one in, in all of existence and eternity, does that make sense that Jesus can have come into your life and not really have that big of a change? Does that make sense? Let me put it another way. If, there, if we let loose a rabid rhinoceros in this room and we left for four hours and then we came back, do you think we wouldn't know that it was in here? 
Do you think these rows would still be orderly the way that they are? Absolutely not. The magnitude of the rhinoceros demands that we would understand that something drastic was in this room. In the same way, in the same way, can we really say that God has come into our life and there hasn't been drastic changes? There hasn't been real life changes there hasn't been that he doesn't rearrange the furniture in our heart, that he's not constantly doing heart surgery to where we're able to repent, we're able to change, we're able to be transformed. Does that make sense? Because the, the God of the Bible is way bigger than a rhinoceros. He created it. And get the point that I'm trying to make. That God demands, that the new birth demands radical Radical life transformation, radical change. Do you have that? Is that in your life? Whenever you process Jesus, does he move you to tears? Do you worship him when no one's looking? Do you pray to him when no one's looking? The scariest question that I could ask this congregation this morning is if all of a sudden it came out on the news not about Afghanistan, not about COVID, but we found the body of Jesus Christ. It's objectively been proven that we found his body. He didn't resurrect from the dead or anything like that. If that happened, which it would never happen, but if that happened, how much would your life change? My fear is that it wouldn't change that much. You'd just be like, all right, got to subscribe to a new moral ethical code. But the worship, the affections of your heart, there's new life, new birth. New birth, do you have it? Is it deep within you? Is it deep within you? So listen, if it's not, if it's not, can you really say you've ever been born again? Number three, number three. So I've been talking a lot um, to everyone in this room, but mostly to those that would say, I don't know if I've subscribed completely to Jesus. I don't know if I've surrendered to Jesus' lordship. Now I want to talk primarily to someone that knows without a shadow of a doubt, I, I am walking with Jesus now. Are you living in the family rights that he has given you through the new birth? Are you living in it? Have you received it as your own? Do you understand what they are? I'm just going to talk about a couple of them. There's so many have you received them as your own? Do you, do you have intimate access with God right now? Have you worked that into your schedule? The God of the universe has given you new life. He's welcomed you into his family. Are you treating, are you treating your time management? Are you, are you entering into the throne room every single day? Have you accepted intimate access with God as a, as a right that God has given you? Have you received that as yourself? Have you? My grandpa, my late grandpa, was a, was a justice of the peace. Um, and he was known as a tough judge. A really, really, really tough judge. Like, no mercy. If you were speeding one mile per hour over, you're paying the full ticket. He might even add a little bit to it. It doesn't matter. He was known around town as being tough. And people trembled and were scared whenever he, whenever he, he walked by at some point. Because they knew that he, he was... He was righteous. He was tough. But guess what? I didn't know him that way. I didn't know him at all that way. I knew him as uh, the, the man that used to hide my blankie and tickle me and tra tramp around with me and wrestle with me. Why? 
Did I know he was a judge? Yes, I knew he was a judge. But him being my grandpa swallowed up the judgeness in him. Has God the Father, the idea of God the Father swallowed up God the judge in your heart? Do you still look at him and you say, God, I can't believe you do this. I can't believe your, your justice is just too much. It's too much for me to bear. Or do you say, no, he's my everlasting father. I go to him. He's gentle with me. He wraps me up. He delights in me. Have you received that? Is that how you look at God? Is it? C.S. Lewis um, puts it this way. He says, for so many of us, so many of us, whenever we have a, God has for us a holiday at the sea, but we just like to wallow around in, the, in a mud pit right by our car. God desires deep, intimate relationship with you. Are you entering into it? You say, Cody, it's hard. Yes, it's hard. It's hard because you were once spiritually dead and you got to say, no, I'm alive now. You have to believe the truth. You have to, you know, you have to um, squash all your slave masters that said, you know what, this truth stuff, it's not really real. You have to squash that with the truth and say, no, I can enter into the throne room of grace. Stop settling for a McDonald's cheeseburger whenever he has a feast. He has a feast just around the corner for you. You have been adopted. You belong to him. I was talking to Patrick Kemp this, this week. I had lunch with him. And he talked about how he loved his kids. And he said, uh, I love all my kids and I'm, I'm going to cherish them and protect them all. But there's something different about Sarah. There's something different. You don't mess with Sarah. He said, the lion comes out in me. Sarah is his adopted daughter. And how much more, and, and Patrick's just a good guy. How much more is the God of the universe looking at you, his adopted sons and daughters, his adopted sons and daughters are not welcoming you in. Enter in. Enter into his grace. Enter into his love. Enter into it. Stop wallowing around with these lesser things. Stop believing your old slave masters. Stop it. Stop it. God, God wants you to have the full rights of intimate access with him. Number two, God wants you to delight in your glorious inheritance. He wants you to delight in your glorious inheritance. Whenever you believe on his name, as our passage says, he gives you the same inheritance that Jesus deserves in your place, that Jesus earned in your place. Do you know what that means? That you are therefore co-heirs with Christ. Everything that Jesus deserves, he is saying, I'm giving it to you. Christians, are you living? Are you living on the basis of your rights? Or are you wasting your time? Wasting your time settling in mud pits and cheeseburgers whenever he has a glorious inheritance of you. C.S. Lewis again says this, in the new heavens and the new earth, every single blade of grass will be so amazing. It will, it will demand that we stop, look down at it, glory in, in its maker, and then worship him. You want to know why eternity is going to be so long? Eternity is going to be so long because every single part of the new heavens and new earth will be so glorious that we can't help but worship the magnitude of the one who made it. Are you excited? 
Are you excited about your inheritance that you're going to receive one day? And I know this falls in deaf ears to those that are spiritually dead. You're like, what in the world is he talking about? But is it making you alive right now? Is it making you alive? Are you excited? Are you excited about the the new heavens and new, new earth where he wipes away every single tear from every eye? Have you worked this deep into your heart? Are you living for his glory and his glory alone, knowing that every single thing you do is not in vain here on this earth? Listen, whenever things go wrong and things go poorly and, and you wish that you were in control, but you're, but you're not, and you look to Christ, are you working in the implications of the truth of the gospel in every area? Because that's the bedrock, that's the solid rock that you need to be standing on, is the gospel. He wants you to, to revel in the inheritance that will be yours someday. And he wants you to revel in intimate access with him as an adopted son and daughter. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? Because that's, that's what the new birth is. The new life, life which is truly life, means that darkness can never overcome these truths. That the heart surgery that he does is he just keeps on shining lights all in your heart. And you're saying, all right, that darkness is gone, that darkness is gone. You say, Cody, that sounds like it happens really fast. No? To the Lord, a a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. I don't know his timing. Sometimes it goes faster, um, more speedily than, than other times, but our response is the same. Press in. Glory in it. Do you have this? Is this yours? Because my fear is that we're still bored. We're still bored by these truths. And I think we're bored by these truths because we say in our culture, you know what? I don't know. Jesus just isn't gripping me right now. I don't know what what it is, but, you know, my my spiritual life is just kind of waning. Is it because you didn't know that at one point you were spiritually dead and you needed to become alive? Has, there, has the switch been flipped in your life? Or were one day in the past, were you thinking to yourself, you know what, I think I raised my hand whenever that preacher said to do this, this, that, and the other, and then they told me I was saved. And so, therefore, the assurance of my salvation is predicated upon a past experience that I had whenever I was who knows how old. And the assurance of my salvation is on how I felt in that moment rather than a present posture of the Lordship of Jesus right now. Anytime that the Bible presents what it means to be saved, it's talking about a present posture. Who is Jesus to you right now, Redeemer? Who is he right now? Is he Lord? Is he on the throne of your heart right now? Then you are saved. Then you are saved. Live in the glorious inheritance that he has given you through your family rights that you're adopted. And if you say, I don't know, Cody. I genuinely don't know. Make that. Make that the plea of your heart. God, can you place deep in my heart the conviction that I was once dead and now I can be made alive in Christ? Can you shine the light of life, which is the life of man, deep into my heart so that I'm transformed and changed? It happens by believing in his name. Have you believed? My hope and prayer is that you believe right now. Will you pray with me?